Well, if you take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 13 this morning, John chapter 13, I want to, even though it's Easter Sunday, I want to continue with the gospel of John, our conversations with Christ. Maybe by taking us into the hours before Jesus would suffer and die, we can actually see a way to live life post-resurrection. So my title this morning is to celebrate Easter means living it every day. If you want to really celebrate Easter, it's not just this weekend. So let me get right to the point. It's Easter of 2021. We've taken a major step forward from Easter of 2020 because we are here in this place and there are at least 50 of you here. That is 50 more than was able to gather last year. Who knows, maybe in Easter of 2022, if God tarries, there'll be a hundred of us, however the Lord wills. But I would say to you, just like I started the service, Jesus is risen, amen? Amen. Amen. He's alive, amen? Amen. So here we are. Now think about this. I prayed with this with the music team before we came out. Here we are over 2,000 years after Jesus lived and died and rose again. And 2,000 years later, we are still remembering it. We are still celebrating it. In fact, I saw some statistics. There are almost 8 billion human beings on this planet Earth now, and almost 3 billion of them, or over a third, still says that they believe in Jesus in some way. Think about that. 2,000 plus years after. But... Let's take it from the world and bring it right down to these pews and to you at home, to you personally. Do you believe in Jesus Christ and in Easter? Do you believe in a risen Savior? Do you believe all the things we have sung about and celebrated today? And if so, why? Why are you doing this? Why are we doing this? And let me come back to that, but let me ask you this question because I actually think This is a very pertinent question in 2021, which is this, and mark this down if you want to. What do you think the world is really looking for right now? A leader? A savior? Safety? Peace? Freedom from COVID-19? Security? Real leadership? Money? Stability? Relationship? How many in the world today are looking for freedom or pleasure? And I actually believe if you were to talk to all 7.9 billion human beings, you would get answers that encompass all of these to some degree. But I actually think you can bring it down to one major search, one major desire. If you were to ask every human being today, what are you looking for or what do you want? I think most people would say, I just want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be content. And think about the ways that we try to find happiness or contentment. Some do it through power. So they try to gain advantage or they climb the corporate ladder or the political ladder or whatever it is that they do. Some want fame. Why do you think we have more reality shows or quote-unquote reality shows than ever before. Some do it through possessions. We acquire things. Some try to find it through 
family or relationships, legacy. As I was studying for Easter Sunday, I read about this famous person. Many of you might know his name is Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz was the great creator of the Peanuts cartoon and comic strip. The story goes that Charles Schultz was a Christian, and he had a particular philosophy for living life. And so what he would do is when he would meet with people, and especially as his fame and riches grew, as he would garner people into his staff and all these things, he would ask them some questions. Watch, watch. Some of the questions were like this. Name the last 10 presidents of the United States, or the last for us in Canada, the 10 prime ministers. Name the last 10 premiers of Newfoundland and Labrador. Think about it. Name the last 10 World Series champions in baseball, or basketball, or hockey. Well, the one thing we do know it was not the Maple Leafs. You can laugh, Scott. <laughs> Who are the last football, last 10 football champions? How many of you can name the last 10 Miss Universes that were supposed to represent the most beautiful women of the world? How about the last 10 Nobel Peace Prize winners? The last 10 leading actors or actresses? Now, you might name some of those, but I don't think anybody in this room or any of you online could name all of what I just said. Let alone if I said, how often have you thought about these people in the last year or year and a half of your life. But then Schultz would turn it around on his staff and people and friends, and he would say, okay, now you can't name those. Well, let me ask you if you can name this. Name one or two teachers that aided you through your journey in school and influenced your life. Name one to three friends who helped you through a difficult time. Name one to three people that have taught you something worthwhile. Or a few people, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, someone who had an influence with you and made you feel appreciated and special. Name five people you enjoy spending time with. And these are the questions for which every one of you will have answers to. And you know why? Because unlike the presidents and the prime ministers and the Nobel Peace Prize winners and the actors and the Olympians and the football and hockey champions. The reason you can name all these other people so much, even though they don't have anywhere near the credentials or the money or the awards or the power or the fame, is because the second group of people in your life are people you know that cared for you. They cared for you. And I would believe that the reason we are still celebrating Jesus over 2,000 years later, people, even that people who believe in him and people who don't, people who love him and even people who hate him, people who trust him and even people who reject, reject him, the one constant, no matter where you are on the spectrum, is almost everybody believes that Jesus cared. That he cared. And so I want you and I here and online, I want you to consider what our lives have been and presently are like. What does all this mean? Jesus being alive right now. How does this affect the way we live our lives? Not just Easter weekend, but through the rest of 2021. How does the resurrection of Jesus help you and I live in a COVID world? How does this reality of what we claim to believe, because think about what we're claiming. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 
You, you can either, you, there's only one of two options with that. Either you believe that or you don't. If you believe it, it has incredible effect. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it does and will affect your marriage, your family. This anthem of truth that we have clapped and sung and done all these things. If Jesus rose from the dead, should it not or would it not control our words and our thoughts and our desires? Would it not help us in the way we see ourselves, how we see the world and money and power and fame and pleasure? How does Jesus being alive quite frankly, change the way we look at life and death. It affected Paul, the apostle, who said in that letter writing from prison while he's likely chained to a praetorian guard, and he said to those Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we love that verse. It's on copy, coffee mugs and plaques and all these things. But do you, do you, are you living your life in 2021 with that attitude from the youngest of you here to the oldest? If I live today, I'm going to live for Christ. And if I die today, it is gain. I will go home this afternoon and I will watch another funeral via live stream later this afternoon of a dear lady that was a very, very close friend of our family. And we will mourn and grieve the sting of death. But when she lived, it was for Christ. And when she died, it is gain. Paul told the Corinthians this, When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The reason why Paul wrote that is because Jesus rose from the dead. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now watch this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the here and now, in your life today. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the preacher of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4 that the resurrection of Jesus motivated the way he lived his life now. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And so right now today, let us run our race, your race, my race, our race, with endurance, the race that's set before us. How do we do it? You look to Jesus, the founder And the protector of our faith. Notice this. Jesus is the founder of your faith. But he's also the protector of your faith. You don't need to protect it. Do you know how absolutely freeing that is for you? You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to. I wish I could get some churches and pastors in Canada in a COVID world who are struggling with governments and and how we've approached this this pandemic to realize it's not our job to protect our faith. Jesus does. Your job and mine is to respond to it. It's to rest on it. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now watch this. And is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when you're trying to figure out how to celebrate Easter all year, consider him, Christ, 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Now, why would you do that? In the real life of here and now, when you consider what Jesus suffered and did and does for you, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Over and over again, we are called and challenged to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Paul told the Philippians that if he lived, it was Christ, to die was gain. He told the, he told the Corinthians that death was swallowed up by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews said we are to look to Christ, but very practically as we deal with death and suffering. Paul told the Thessalonians something that tragically, even in churches, we often only refer to at funerals. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, in 1 Thessalonians 4, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe, now watch this, that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So you don't even have to be afraid of death. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, every one of you I'm looking at, every one of you online, we are alive and we are left until the coming of the Lord, whatever day that may be. And I actually think it's a lot closer than most of us think it is. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now this is the part you miss. It's not just for funerals. It's for Easter Sunday. It's for Monday morning blues. It's for Tuesday morning fatigue and Wednesday uh, wishy-washiness. Encourage one another with these words. But now riddle me this. (laughs) Here we are, Calvary Baptist. Here we are as evangelical Christians. We've gathered on this weekend when the world itself seems to stand still for about 72 hours. And we have all this confidence and joy. And we sing and we clap and we gather. And we live in a country like Canada where we can not only gather, but we can also protest and demand our rights to gather for church. And we can write letters to the editor and we can petition our government. And I've seen of late through Easter season... Even the tours to Israel that you go to the Holy Land and see things. We have special events like Lent and we walk the road of Christ. And many will walk the road of the Via Della Rosa. And we do concerts and we do praise nights. But what do we do for the other 361 days of the year? If this is true... Let me talk to Christians. Why is there so much hate and hurt on social media aimed at fellow Christians? Why are churches splitting and worse, closing? The Telegram did an article this week, said they polled Christians from across Canada, and they actually thought it was a good thing, and it said 50% of them want to return to worship. Half. Half. 
Why are so many hurting and in need, but so-called Christians argue publicly? All the while, very little is actually being done. We talk and we sing about the love of Jesus, and yet either that becomes a shield for everyone to do anything they want, or it's just mere platitudes as the world watches Christians compete and yell at each other, and dare I say mistreat each other. We talk and sing about love while demanding a form of religious perfection that isn't real. We talk about forgiveness and humility and patience. And yet all too often we demand people give that to us and we rarely offer it to others. I don't know. Can any of you tell me what Thursday of last week was called? Anybody? Say, yell it out. Monday, Thursday. Do you know why it's called Monday, Thursday? It's because at this point, on Thursday in Passion Week, is when Jesus was gathered with his disciples, what we're going to read in just a second. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now watch this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And the result of that is by this, all people, not some people, not most people, when you and I love others, others the way Christ loves us, Jesus says, people watching will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you see, all the scriptures I've read so far, it all has one thing in common. Did you notice? There's joy and there's celebration. There's hope There's all these types of things, but it also comes with one massive assumption and conclusion. If you and I are going to really celebrate Easter, then you've got to live it out every day. So turn with me to John 13. John chapter 13, verse 12. Here is Jesus in the upper room. He is going to institute the Lord's table. He is literally about 12 to 18 hours from death. He is three days from resurrection and reuniting with the Trinity in heaven. And he has just watched their feet. And he's had this discussion with Peter. And he says, John tells us, the beloved disciple, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, verily, verily, he wants to draw your attention to this. Now notice this, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his or her master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, if you mark in your Bible, watch this. If you know these things, blessed are you or happy are you if you do them. I started out by saying, I think the world is looking how to be happy. I believe Christians are wanting to know how to be happy. Here's Jesus telling you how to be happy. And I'm telling you this now before it takes place. Because he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now because it takes place. That when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. If you're going to get Easter this year, and I think you really need to try. 
and you're going to live it out, you and I have to see what is happening here. You see, Jesus wants you and I to celebrate Easter, not just for one weekend, but for every day of the year, every day we have life, we need to look to the cross and an empty grave. For when you and I do this, it will humble you, it'll motivate you, it'll teach you, it'll empower you, it changes you, and it transforms us. And then John chapter 13, 34 will happen and become a reality where the world will look at us hate us or like us, agree with us or disagree with us, and they'll come to the same conclusion that the centurion did. Truly this was the Son of God. I don't like them, but man, they act and talk like Jesus. And when we act like Christ, people in your neighborhood, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, even strangers, the lovers and the haters will know this. And I must tell you my heart, this is what I long for, for all of you that I'm looking at. I have two great longings for every one of you. One is that you'll know Jesus. And two is that by knowing Jesus, everybody around you will know that you care for them like Jesus. Because herein lies the secret of church. Jesus is hours away in this passage from the cross. He's just stripped himself down. He was at the seat of honor, stripped himself down, and washed the disciples' feet. Peter, of course, is the one who misreads the situation. I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. He's the one who usually speaks for the group, isn't he? And in so doing, they all hear what Jesus says to Peter. So everybody there knows that this washing of the feet is actually an illustration of the gospel. Jesus is on his way to the cross where he will totally cleanse them of their sin. But they're going to need to come to him each and every day for fresh cleansing. That's why he washes their feet. And this makes me smile. Because the apostle John is the guy writing this. And if you understand who John is, John is the guy who wants us to know Jesus. But he must have really gotten what this is about. Because John is the one who says... And later on in John chapter 20, that he's writing this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But this time there's something different. And it goes to my theme. This sermon and this Easter, John is telling us that to believe in Jesus means we will have life. Not life as in a moment, but life as in a series of moments. Life is lived with others. It's seconds and minutes and hours and days and years. And John is saying, when you believe in Jesus, you're changed by this Jesus. John, who was the one that was called a son of thunder. John, who was the one that misunderstood all kinds of situations, is the one who would write in this letters that David is preaching through, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the New Testament because it's not written to people who don't believe in Jesus. That verse is written to people who do believe in Jesus. You need to get up tomorrow morning and start with 1 John 1.9. I need to confess. The reason we have a call to confession in every service is because of 1 John 1.9. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's displayed selfless love sacrificial service and as always Jesus is loving as he's about to face torture and death 
Jesus is loving as he looks into the eyes. He washes the feet of Judas, who has already sold him out. And a few hours from now, will bring a mob and kiss him on the cheek in betrayal. He's washing the feet of Peter, who will deny Jesus three times. He washes the feet of Matthew and Simon and Judas and Bartholomew, all of whom will take off. And yet, he loves them. So let me set the scene. Peter has spoken, but the rest don't, which means they all get it. They've listened to them. And here they are, the nine of them. So he likely has washed Peter, James, and John's feet by the time you read this. And so there's nine more feet, sets of feet to wash. Can you imagine the awkward silence? All it was was the sound of rinsing water. The wiping of feet as they all kind of stared at each other but didn't make eye contact. They all looked around. They're sitting there in stunned silence. And then in our passage, notice that Jesus breaks the silence in verse chapter, verse 12 of chapter 13. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? So he puts on his outer garments. He lays down what is obviously now a very dirty bowl. Who knows what his hands look like? He might splash water all over himself. He puts on his outer garments and he sits down and they're all in stunned silence. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? And he doesn't even wait for an answer. He simply keeps talking. So this morning, church, listen to me. To celebrate Easter, you've got to embrace Christ's example. That's verses 12 to 15. For I have given you, verse 15, an example, and you also should just do just as I have done for you. We've got to embrace the love and the humility of Christ. J.C. Ryle says, If the only begotten Son of God, the King of kings, did not think it beneath him to do the humblest work of a servant, a slave servant, then there is nothing which his disciples should think themselves too great or too good to do. Which, which now, let me bring this into our real world. Ryle says, no sin is so offensive to God, no mistake, no failure, no misunderstanding is so injurious to the soul as pride. No grace is so commended both by precept and example as humility. And Peter got this. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter would write, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So how good would Easter be? How powerful would this be, this day be? How incredible would the church be if we embrace the example of Christ like this? Church, the power of Easter is not found in self-conceited, self-satisfied, self-contented, stuck-up professors of religion. Again, I think one of our ladies of our church, Kathy Piercy, had a post just yesterday on her Facebook that I thought was brilliant because it talked about the love of Christ being focused not on those who look the part and dress up and smile and can sing in church, but it is for the embarrassed and the shamed and the hurting. Jesus rose from the dead for them. Here's the question. Are you willing to embrace that mentality and then share it with everybody else? We are to love every 
person, as a child of God. We are to do it so well that, that the least trifle we can do to make him or her more happy and comfortable, we should be glad to do it. That's the mind of Jesus. This is the ruling principle of Christ. This is his example. They are graces upon and about which there is no mystery. And they are within reach of every class. The poorest, most ignorant Christian can every day find a, an occasion to practice love and humility. And it's really about our attitude, isn't it? Jesus knew what was before him. He understood the time. And so he loves with gospel urgency. His time is short. Why do you think Paul tells the Ephesians to redeem the time? Because the days are evil. So he examples an attitude of love and humility. For those who are not worthy of love, those who are not lovely, he washes Judas' feet and Peter's feet, and Jesus washed all their feet. And this group had done some great things, but they had fought with each other, misunderstood Jesus, had been selfish and self-centered. They had gotten it wrong, and then they got it right, and Jesus still loves them. And this is why Easter is meant to be so much more than a weekend celebration. I was getting my hair cut on Saturday, yesterday, and the guy next to me, the barber, he was telling the barber, they were asking about this weekend, and he said this most incredible thing, because it's the first time I've literally heard it from someone, and he said to the barber, I am culturally religious. I, because he was asking what he was doing over the weekend. He said, oh yeah, no, we, we tried to get something fit in for Good Friday and we're going to try and do something tomorrow because I want my kids to know about this thing, but it's in my culture. I'm not even sure I believe it, he said, but I want us to at least act like we do. And I'm sitting there and I got so quiet and lost in my thoughts. My barber asked, actually asked me if there was something wrong because normally we're chatting away and I got so wrapped up in this and see, this is the problem. This is our problem in the church. You see, the church is supposed to be a real relationship with Christ. It's to be a part of a community, not a club. Richard Phillips says, this marks the difference between a community and a club. In a club, you get to choose the people with whom you associate with. Whereas in a community is a place where the person that you least want to associate also lives. The church is a community, not a club. A true church will exhibit an attitude of love that is based on Christ's sacrificial love for us, not on the attractiveness of others. So look at verse 14 and 15 again. Jesus wants us to see that love and humility. Easter means we're not absorbed with our own concerns. Jesus examples a special love for these disciples. And the same love for them is his love for you. And herein lies the problem, I think, with everybody sitting here. Every one of you online. I think we want to believe Jesus loves us. I think we hope that Jesus loves us. But very few of us have really trusted in the love that Jesus has for us. Because when you do, it means you will love others. And verses 16 to 17, if we're going to celebrate Easter, we've got to embrace our calling. Jesus goes a step further now, not just to see his example. He actually says, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to unashamedly do for others what I have done for you. I'm calling you to do this. We're to unashamedly do for others what Christ has done for us. And I actually think the best way for me to illustrate this is parents. Because here's the problem in our church. 
Even here, with the 50 of us that are here, we kind of know each other. We're getting to know each other. It's been a long 16 months. We haven't had the kind of community we long for. We've lost touch a little bit with each other. But the truth of the matter is, we're all different. There's people we find easier to get along with. There's people we connect with easier. There's things and things about all of us that some of us get along. We see the world the same way. Some of us, it's like being a Christian, my, a good friend of mine said it's like a porcupine dance. Right? Somebody said, how do porcupines mate? And somebody said, very carefully. All right? But if you're a parent and, and some, some of the kids are here, here's the problem with church. We are so wrapped up in our instant um, attitude, like everything's got to be done instantly. We don't realize that being Christians and doing life together is a long journey. It's a marathon. Because you guys are, many of you are parents, and you know that if you're parents, you've got various age kids here, and you can all talk about what a journey it is to teach them. <laughs> That's right, Matt. But you realize this is a journey. My, my favorite thing about my grandmother, my grandmother Bray, who lived to be almost 100, I remember I got to that point in my life where I was an adult. Debbie and I were married. We had children. And we went to visit my grandmother. And she was only a couple of years then from dying. And as we were leaving, she came up to me. And my entire life, my grandmother did this because she's a good Newfoundland grandmother, which she, she's always stuffing you with sweets chocolates, all this kind of stuff, and money. And my grandmother loved to give me money. And for most of my life, I selfishly took every dime I could. I was only happy to put my hand out and go, Nan, give me more money. But I was finally mature, responsible, and old enough. And so grandma came to me and Nan, and she wanted to give me money, and I, I pushed her hand away, and I said, Nan, no, no, like, you keep your money, we're good, you know, making money now and all this kind of stuff, or give it to the kids or whatever. And she nearly slapped me across the face. And in a, in a way that she's never done before, she said, now look, when I had your father, I became a mother. And until he's dead and you're dead or I'm dead, I will always be a mother. So shut up and take this money. And I learned not to argue with Nan. How many of you and I as Christians in this church, as we look around this room and we think of everybody else that's belonging to this church online that isn't here, and we think, how come they don't get it yet? They rub me the wrong way. They're not as mature as us. They still struggle with this. Why are they so sensitive to this? Why aren't they sensitive more to this? Because we're all on a journey. We're sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters. And think about how patient Jesus is with you. And then Jesus says, your calling is to be that patient with each other. Now, let me ask you this. If you and I were that patient with each other, and we cared for each other, and we went on the long journey with each other, we weren't always demanding our rights and fussing and fighting and arguing all the time. What would the world think of us? Most importantly, what would the world think of Jesus because of us? In our passage, Jesus says, look at it at the end of 15. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. You'll be happy. What are the keys to happiness? 
For you on 2021, it's to know that Jesus is our Lord. He's not just the Lord. He's our Lord. He's your Lord. Jesus is our Lord who made himself our servant. We are called to be like Jesus as servants. And what Jesus our Lord has done for us, we are called to do for others. So Jesus our Lord who loves us and serves us has now sent us out to show the world that by how we treat each other, we are his disciples. And then finally in verses 18 to 20, we are to celebrate Easter. We've got to embrace Christ himself. I wish I had more time to unpack this for you. But so many of you don't realize this. When you read about uh, Judas, here when Jesus quotes, he says, even my close friend, and he says, um, here in this, look at this. I am telling you this now before it takes place. He says, he who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. You know what he's doing? He's quoting Psalm 41. When David talks about a close friend of his, a guy named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's friend, but he betrayed him and aligned himself with David's son Absalom. And in Psalm 41, he says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so what Jesus is doing, the disciples would have gotten this. Jesus is using an example that every one of those guys went, wait wait a second, you're you're saying we're supposed to love, love people like the way David loved this guy who betrayed him? And Jesus, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He's telling them, look, you're going to face betrayals. Friends will hurt you and fail you, break promises. They'll not always get it right. They'll assume things wrong. In fact, I wonder if Jesus is thinking all the way back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.15, which is called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, when God says to the devil, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, but he, you shall bruise his heel. And so then Jesus says in verses 19 and 20, you need to have faith in me, have faith in the Bible. And by the way, for moms and dads that are here, maybe you're thinking about, what am I going to leave my kids What legacy can I give my kids that will not pass time? And it's not money, and it's not a house, it's not an insurance plan, it's none of these things. Do yourselves a favor and give your kids a big view of the Bible. Show them how you've embraced Christ, how you trust the Bible, and watch how that changes things. And so, how do we finish this? How do I want you to leave here on Easter Sunday? How are you going to get Easter all day long, all year long? Take this Monday, Thursday, this Good Friday, this Silent Saturday, this Resurrection Sunday. Take this season of Lent and Passion Week or Easter weekend. And when we look to Jesus and we take our sins to him and we learn from him and we start to talk like him and act like him and point others to him and we want Jesus to treat others the way Jesus treats us. But I'm back again. Here's the challenge. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Are you stingy with your love because you think Jesus might be stingy with his love to you? Jesus cares so you can care. I was telling Curtis and Matthew earlier, I was reading in this and I read up about a guy, a minister from the United States, a Methodist minister in 1878, who had heard about William Booth and the Salvation Army and all that God was doing in the Salvation Army 
And so he decided to leave his illustrious career as a Methodist minister and travel over to England and join William Booth. And he was a a very famous pastor and a well-known pastor. And when he gets over there, William Booth says to him, you've been your own boss too long. You're a bit filled with pride. So I want you to start out by cleaning the boots of all the trainees. And this minister was upset. How can you make me clean boots? Do you know who I am? I've traveled from America to here to join you. And he said, you need to clean boots. And this guy named Brengel, he writes in his diary that he read John 13. And God spoke to him. And it so convicted him. He said, Lord, I see your example. And I see my calling. And I want to embrace you. And I love what he wrote. He said, Lord, if you would wash the dirty feet of the disciples, then I will shine the black boots of the trainees. So I want to ask you, do you want to celebrate Easter? Are you willing to give up your rights, your preferences, your demands? It's not how long you've been to church. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's not how much money you give. It's not about your desires and your preferences. Do you come here and go, Lord, I want to just love on people and example Christ. And if I got to lay down my rights and I got to serve in silence or without a name, if I've got to clean the boots of the people in my church, I will do it because... 1 Corinthians 15, 58, after, oh, death, where's your sting? All this kind of stuff. He says, therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, listen, when you serve on that tech team, you come to church, you teach children, you serve in the nursery, you play the drums, or you sing up here, or you read scripture, or you wipe down pews, or you greet people there, or you register them, or you serve on a committee, whatever you do, seen or unseen, thanked or unthanked, you will stand before the living, risen Savior, and he will say, I've loved you and cared for you, and I saw everything you ever did. Nothing is forgotten. Now, enjoy me for eternity. And I am still dumb enough to believe that if we all acted like this, revival would come to St. John's. And Kilbride Community Church would become a reality. And downtown Community Church would be a reality. And we'd see churches in Shea Heights and St. Phillips and Portugal Cove, and Paradise, and Calvary Baptist, we wouldn't suffer one little bit because of it. In fact, we'd still be too big and wonder what to do about it. Because for the first time in our lives, it wouldn't be about buildings or programs or preferences. It would be us following the example of Christ, embracing the calling of Christ, and actually being like Christ. And that is how you celebrate Easter. Let's pray. Father God, how I pray that somebody here who doesn't know you or is confused about you or curious, I pray for anybody online. I pray for young people that are searching or been around church. I pray for men and women here right now who are like, man, what am I doing? Lord, I just pray that we would see the power of being like Christ. That we would see the the power of being humble. We would see the happiness and the joy of not always having to have things our way, done the way we want them done. Lord, 
I long for you to build Calvary and I long for souls to get saved in St. John's and I long to see young people serve you and churches planted and started. And, and yet, Lord, I pray that we will just want to serve you. Whether we're successful or not shouldn't count or matter. Lord, I just want you to be glorified. I want us as a church to experience the joy of just following you. And realize as we sing this last song, what a blessing that we have upon our lives. And if we would trust you and follow you, it is the key to happiness. I pray, Lord, this year that people will know that Jesus loves them. But, Lord, I pray that people in this city will know that Calvary Baptist loves them as well. And we would start by loving each other because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.